This fall, God is teaching us from His Word. He's teaching us from the Old Testament book of Proverbs. And uh, today He's teaching us about what it means to live a life of generosity. As you heard in that video, if we start defining generosity, that it means giving, but it's multidimensional, right? It's not just giving money. It's easy to think of generosity as, as only that. Giving time, giving energy, giving love, giving effort, talent, all these things go into living a life of generosity. Generosity has this quality about it, though, that always raises a, a question. It always demands a question, why? Because generosity is always motivated by something deeper than itself. People aren't generous because they want to be generous. People want to be generous because of something deeper, a deeper why. Today, I want us to explore from Scripture that deeper foundation for generosity and look, some of the, look at some of the practical rhythms that, uh, of generosity that that foundation produces in our lives. Um, so we're going to hear some Scripture readings that kind of give us a, an overview from the earliest chapters to the later chapters of Proverbs around the theme of generosity and what motivates it. Donna, would you read for us? Thank you. Okay, the scripture reading today is selections from Proverbs. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer, Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Like a roaring lion or a charging bear is a wicked ruler over a poor people. A ruler who lacks understanding is a cruel oppressor, but he who hates unjust gain will prolong his days. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me take a moment and pray for us as we listen to what God has to teach us today. Lord, your daughter Stacy was right earlier when she acknowledged that sometimes we come wounded, weak, reluctant to be here. We come to your word this morning with a wide range of perspectives. Some of us hungry to hear from you. Some of us numb, some of us doubting that you're even there to speak in the first place. Lord, would you reach us wherever we are, speak to us, show us truth, change us, not because we deserve it, but because we 
sit at your feet, waiting for you to be the generous God who gives wisdom and grace through your son Jesus. We ask these things in his name. Amen. So back in uh, the spring, we had the opportunity to travel with several of our children to Aberdeen, Scotland, which is where Tricia and I lived for a couple of years, uh, along with two of our daughters. Um, and I went to this university. I took this photo uh, this spring at probably about 10 o'clock at night. Um, so welcome to long days in northern Scotland where the sun never really quite sets. Um, if you look at this picture, the tower on the left was built in 1495. Um, that's when the university was founded, and it adopted a motto that's displayed on this gate, which was built pretty recently. It was, it's only about 115 years old. Um, it's part of the new section of campus. Um, and above the gate is the university motto. It's taken from the book of Proverbs. It comes from Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. We'll see it again before the morning is over. You've already heard reference to it in some of our scripture readings. It's in Latin, right? Because in 1495, you adopt university mottos in the common tongue of the academia. It's, it's in Latin, but it says... The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the foundational idea that the university was built on. It turns out that that same concept, the fear of the Lord being the beginning of wisdom, is also the foundation for how to live a life of generosity. Let's see how that works. Um, we're going to see a, a rhythm of moving from greed to generosity through the fear of the Lord. And as Donna read for us earlier, she, she read from Proverbs chapter 2, this kind of hope that, that as parents are teaching uh, young sons, teaching uh, daughters, teaching their children, that, that they would grow up and treasure something more than they treasure money. Right? Um, Call out for insight. Raise your voice for understanding. Seek it like silver. Search for it as diligently as you would search for hidden treasure. We want ourselves and children, if we have them, and neighbors, if we have them, <laughs> to treasure something more than silver and gold, to cherish something more than wealth. And uh, yet we start our tour of generosity in the book of Proverbs in chapter 1 with this theme of greed. The very first topic that the parents in Proverbs instructing their children mention, there's, there's a, an introduction of a few verses saying we, we, we want to learn wisdom, but the very first practical subject that comes up is a warning, a warning that says, don't be greedy for unjust gain. It will take your life away. And, and there's this extended warning of saying, hey, wake up, my son. Evil people are going to tempt you to rob others and to do violence to them so that you can fill your own purse. 
with unjust gain. Watch out. The human heart is naturally tempted to be greedy for unjust gain. The human heart is tempted to love having and keeping and possessing so much that we would be willing sometimes to do violence to other people so that we could have more, possess more, keep more. But there is hope. There is hope that greed won't win the day. We, our hearts can be changed and moved toward generosity as we kind of continue a tour of this theme throughout the book of Proverbs. We come across chapter 3. Your heart doesn't have to be governed by greed. It can be changed so that your desire is to honor the Lord with your wealth, the writer says, and with the first fruits of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty. Your vats will be bursting with wine. That sounds like kind of, isn't that dangerous to promise somebody that the world is that mechanical that if you will do this for God, then he will do, do this other thing for you. Proverbs doesn't work that mechanically. These are promises that are based on broad principles. There would be no reason for any proverb to say anything about poor people if the, if the world was mechanical. Because if a per, poor person could just find a nickel and give it away, then God would give them a million dollars in return, right? No, it's not the way the world works. It's not the way the book of Proverbs works. But there is something here telling us that the human heart doesn't have to be governed by greed. It can be changed. This image of first fruits in, in the ancient world, in ancient Israel, was, was the worshiper's way of saying, hey, harvest season has begun in April. It's going to continue through September. I'm going to bring the first of my harvest and give it to God as an expression that I know that the entire harvest, which is going to last for months, is a gift to me from him. This little bit is a sign that it's all his, that none of it's mine. I don't, I don't have the fruit of a good harvest because I'm a great farmer. I don't have the fruit of a good harvest because I'm clever. I don't have the fruit of a good harvest because I deserve it. I have the fruit of a good harvest because God is generous and kind and merciful. And when the worshiper brought the first fruit from their harvest, it was their way of saying, not only did all of it come from you, but I want all of it to honor you. None of it was given to me just to keep for myself. Now, this is where you and I can misunderstand this bit about full barns and vats bursting with wine. Because in the ancient world, when you had a great harvest, you were meant to share it with other people. It wasn't given to you just for you. There are proverbs that talk about that, that, that criticize the person who stores it up and won't share it. Because the intention, everyone reading this in the ancient world would have known. If, if, if God gives you something, he gave it to you so that you can share it with other people. Now we start to see a heart shaped for generosity, a heart that says, I'm, I'm not destined to be controlled by greed for unjust gain. 
Something can transform my heart and my life so that I begin to see everything I own, everything I have, whether it's time or energy or talent or money, everything I have was a gift to me from someone else. It was a gift from the God who made me, and it was not given to me just for me. It was given to me by him for others to enjoy and share and benefit from as well. One writer from another century says it this way, people who do good with what they have will be given more to do good with. How do we get from greed to generosity? What moves us from a heart that says, I love money so much I'd be willing to do violence to another person in order to get unjust gain to this posture that says, God, everything I have comes from you and everything you entrust to me is not just for me. It's for the good of other people. What moves us from the one to the other? The answer the book of Proverbs gives is the fear of the Lord. Right? It's on the gate in Aberdeen, the university. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We heard it mentioned in chapter 2. Look for wisdom like silver. Search for it like hidden treasure. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord. And at the very end of Proverbs, chapter 28, verse 14, blessed is the one who fears the Lord always. There's something important here about the fear of the Lord. Now, given the way the word fear functions in modern English, we could think that Scripture is telling us that we're supposed to be afraid that God will hurt us. And if we're afraid that God will hurt us, then we will be wise. That's not what this word means in the ancient context. If you understand what it means, you've got to visit a town called Clemson, South Carolina with me on a Sunday morning after a football game on Saturday. Okay, Clemson is a university town. The, the university is bigger than the town. And uh, they have a football team that plays at this university. You may have heard about it. Um, When I was the pastor of the church there, leading worship services and preaching on a Sunday morning after a football game was going to be driven by fear of football. Right? It It was a town that feared football. How do you know it feared football? Well, because if, if football went well, then, man, Sunday morning was a celebration. Sunday morning, everybody couldn't wait to get there, couldn't wait to shake hands. They were a little groggy, a little tired from being out in the sun all day. They might have sunburn on half of their face, you know, and not on the other half, depending on what part of the stands they sat in. They might have a little tiger paw sunburned into their cheek where they got it painted on and then washed it off at the end of the day, and the sun did It was a great celebration. If football is going well, all of life is going great, and we had amazing energy in all of our worship services on a Sunday morning. But y'all, if the football team lost on a Saturday, it was like doing a funeral for 500 people at the same time. (laughs) Everybody was tired. They stayed up too late. They got stuck in traffic on the way home. Life was miserable. 
Everybody was just grumpy and complaining. They were hoarse and they could hardly talk and can't sing this morning. Sorry, Luke. Thanks for practicing all that music, but we're halfway singing because life was just terrible. All right, that's just a little sampling of what it means to fear something. Fearing something in the scripture is the equivalent of saying, if this thing is for me, then everything is working in my favor. If this thing is against me, then all of life will be a disaster. Everybody fears something. Everybody has something in their life that if if it is going well, then you feel like nothing could hurt me. But if it is against me, then everything hurts. So fear of the Lord is not being afraid that God will hurt you. Fear of the Lord is saying, if God is for me, nothing can hurt me. But if God is against me, everything hurts. What are the alternatives if we don't fear the Lord? What if you fear status and success? If I have good standing, if I am succeeding, and that is going well for me, then everything is good in life. But if I begin to fail, if I lose standing in the eyes of other people, then everything is against me. Will that produce generosity? No. You know why? You can't afford to give away your money and your time and your effort. You need those to prove how successful you are. You need those to maintain your status and your standing. If you fear success, you can't be generous unless you start to be generous as a sign of how successful you are. If you fear success, you cannot be generous because you care about other people. You will fail to be generous because you care too much about succeeding, or you will be generous only as a sign of how successful you are. You're just using people. You're not really giving to them. What if I fear comfort? If I am comfortable, then all of life is going well. If I'm not, then all of life is a disaster. Hey, I don't want to be super rich. I just want to be comfortable. You know? Is that too much to ask? And if I got that, (laughs) all of life is good. And if that's missing, everything's terrible. Can I be generous if I fear my own comfort? If my own comfort has become my functional God, I can't afford to be generous because I need everything to keep me comfortable. I can't afford to give away any money because I need it. It supports my comfortable lifestyle. I can't afford to give away any time or energy because then I'm tired, I'm overscheduled, I'm stressed, and that's that's not feeding my fear of comfort. I won't be able to give away anything if that's what I fear. What if I fear my own work ethic? Now, track with me. I'm not saying, what if I'm afraid I might work too hard? No. The kind of fear we're talking about is different than that. 
What if my work ethic is the thing that I go, if, if my work ethic is for me, everything will work in my favor. If I work hard enough, all of life will be good. And if my work ethic is against me, everything will be a disaster. If I don't work hard enough, everything's going to fall apart. You live in a world that is, con- you live in Atlanta, Georgia. Everything about this city is telling you that your work ethic is the thing you should fear. If you work hard enough, you will succeed. And everybody around you who's not succeeding as well as you are, that's because they're not doing it right. What if you fear your own cleverness or your own strengths? You will not be able to be generous. Why? I earned it. I deserve it. Everything I got, I got by hard work. I'm not giving it away, especially not giving it away to somebody who doesn't work hard. I got this by my own smarts. I'm not giving it away to people who are stupid, lazy. No, I deserve everything I've got. I'm keeping it. Okay, maybe not. Maybe, maybe you're not like that. Maybe you're like that and you say, yeah, I'm going to give some stuff away. You're still going to give it away with a sense of superiority. I'm the hardworking one who has to take care of the lazy ones. I'm the smart one who has to take care of the people who aren't smart. I'm the rich one who has to take care of the poor people. And you give not with a sense of love, but a sense of condescension, patronizing looking down on other people. That is not a heart of generosity. Whether we fear status, success, comfort, our work ethic, our cleverness, our strength, the common core behind them all is I fear me. Everything is about me. All of life will go well for me because of this thing about me. Or all of life will be a disaster for me because of this thing about me. And God says, I want to cut you loose from all of that. I want to teach you generosity. I want to set you free from that. I want you to fear me. I want a God who gives generously to be the thing that goes in that place in your heart. And you say that if this God is generous to me, then everything will go well for me. And nothing can hurt me. And if I don't have the favor and kindness and compassion and mercy of this God, then everything will be a disaster. But I know that I can have his kindness and his mercy and his goodness and his favor. How do I know that? Well, if we keep reading the story of which the book of Proverbs is a part, we find that God seals his mercy, his kindness, his grace and goodness to the human race with the gift of his own son, Jesus. Can I know that God is for me and not against me? Yeah. As he gave his son for me. 
I've read before the story of a church. It's a church plant. Intown started as a church plant 40 years ago, planted by a, another church in Atlanta called Perimeter. Occasionally, you can find a music stand around that has Perimeter Intown spray painted across the back. Let's buy more of those because they've lasted 40 years. This little church plant in Greece, barely on its feet. It was only about two or three years old when this event happened. They, they learned of a sister church in the Middle East where things are a little less stable, uh, both politically and, and, and the weather is a little less predictable. So this church in Greece, two or three years old, very little money themselves, not a very wealthy community. They hear about this sister church in the Middle East having a really deep financial need, and they find out that their planting pastor, the, the pastor who started the church in Greece, is traveling there, and they begin to beg, can we please send money to our brothers and sisters there? And the planting pastor is like, I know you don't have much to give. <laughs> we want to please. It's such an honor and a privilege. Please. The church planting pastor wrote them a letter. It's called 2 Corinthians. This church was in Philippi. And the Apostle Paul was their planting pastor, and he said, I'm amazed at your generosity. And then he gave this summary of where it was coming from. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, <laughs> he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. The foundation for a generous life is saying, God, you're a generous God. You give us the gift of your son. The thing I need most in my life so that I can be certain that everything will go well for me eternally is not money or cleverness or strength or wealth. It's you. You are for me. And that's all I need. What starts to happen in a life that has been changed in that way. We start to develop a, some rhythms. I want to express those rhythms quickly, but I want to do it through questions. Part of the way the book of Proverbs works is by getting us to think deeply about things. It doesn't give us all the answers up front to everything. So can we take a season, a week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, to ask ourselves these questions? questions, am I giving freely? Proverbs 11.24 uses this interesting word. One person gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give, the opposite of generosity, this kind of holding back, and uh, only suffers want. That word for giving freely here, it, it, it has the sense of scattering, of almost carelessly flinging things about. Think of a, a farmer going out to, 
to sow some seed. And instead of like, you know, taking each little seed and individually placing it in the ground, right? Just kind of going, throwing it wherever they go. Like this is the, this is a picture of generosity of, of God's people. It's, he's changed us. <laughs> what if I don't have a lot of money to be generous with? It's okay. You can be generous with something else. Be generous with time. Be generous with love. Be generous with care and affection. You'll find ways to be generous with money as well. Just start flinging it around, scattering goodness and kindness and mercy and generosity wherever we go. Am I giving freely? That's one of the rhythms of a generous life. Another one is humility. Am I giving humbly? Or am I giving with a sense of superiority? Proverbs has a lot to say about this. 1431, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. He who is generous to the needy honors the God who made everyone. Proverbs 22.2 says it a little more directly. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. Let's live generous lives, but with zero sense of superiority. Zero sense that because my barn is full right now, somehow I'm better than the people whose barns are empty. Zero sense that because I got the promotion and I have now more to give away, I am somehow superior to those who have less. There is no place for that kind of attitude within a generous heart and life. I'm always looking for people who are likely to be considered insignificant. This is how, this is one dimension of poverty in the Bible. In the Western world, we tend to think about a lot of things in terms of money only. So when we read the word poor, we think about people who lack financial resources. That is one dimension of the word poor in the Bible. But another dimension, poverty in Scripture is is being too insignificant to merit attention. Now, in many cultures, if you don't have much money, the assumption is you're not significant enough to merit anyone's attention, whether humans or to merit God's attention, the attention of the king, doesn't matter. Everybody can overlook you because you don't have much. So a generous heart, a generous life is one that says, I'm always looking for the people around me who are most likely to be considered insignificant. And I'm wanting to give something to show that this person matters to the God who has loved me and given himself for me and given his son to me. I get to see this so many times. I see it. I watch the elders of this church when we gather with other people And you got some rock star elders who I watch them when we're together in a place and I watch who they seek out. I saw it happening yesterday. 
I see it happen in my house on Tuesday nights when we gather to study the intersection between Christianity and literature. Maybe 30, 35 people come to our house. Some of them are 10, 11, 12, 13 years old. When you gather adults, like smart adults, adults who have graduated a couple of times, They've been in their career 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years. They've been promoted multiple times. You get those adults together and ask them, do they think junior high students, middle school students are very significant? Can you overlook them? Yeah, sure. They don't have much life wisdom yet. They're not in our league. I watch the elders of our church. Look for the youngest people in the room to seek them out. Why? Their hearts have been transformed by the God who gives generously. Are we giving with that kind of humility? And finally, are we giving tenderly, with tenderness? The busier you are, the easier it is to let your heart get numb. The more successful you are, the easier it is to be tempted to let your heart grow hard. There's a key concept in Proverbs chapter 28. We we read this verse that says, If you conceal your transgressions, you won't prosper. If you confess and forsake them, you will obtain mercy. The very next verse says, Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Don't harden your heart toward the mercy of God. If you need to be forgiven, God will generously give you his mercy, his grace, his compassion. Don't ever harden your heart toward the God who's ready to give you his grace and pardon. But notice that if we keep reading, we see the connection with poverty and generosity. Like a roaring lion or a charging bear is a wicked ruler over a poor people. We just read, whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. We're being told here, don't ever harden your heart toward the poor. Don't ever harden your heart toward people who need mercy. You see the rhythm? If I know that I need mercy from God, and my heart stays soft toward him because he's shown me his mercy, then I will have a heart that is soft toward other people who need mercy. Can I give tenderly, with tenderness, toward the needs of other people? Because my heart is still soft and tender toward the God who has seen my need and who has met it. Um, Are we talking about politics here? A wicked ruler over a poor people, yes and no. 
when we fear God more than we fear money or wealth or status or power or success, then yes, we will want to see rulers, governments, and laws in our world who are not wicked. One measurement of wickedness is poor treatment of those who are in greatest need. But as believers in Jesus, we are under the rule of King Jesus, no matter who our human leaders are. We don't need the right party to be in power to live lives of generosity. The throne of the universe is not occupied by a wicked ruler. <laughs> it's occupied by the Son of God who has given himself freely, generously, so that you and I would be able to say, God will never be against me. Every detail in the universe has to work for my ultimate good, even if I can't see it or feel it right now. That is the God who has loved us. We don't fear the government. We don't fear politics. If the government goes poorly, life might be harder. But my life is not a disaster. If politics go well, Everything isn't suddenly going well. We fear the Lord. We can live generous lives because we know that this God is for us. He has given us mercy through His Son, and we are free to be generous, to live lives shaped by his generosity to us and through us.